Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. Joining me today, we've got the head coach of the Connecticut Sun, Kurt Miller. Coach, thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be with you. Coach, I, I've got to ask, and I, this is a question I ask of every coach who comes on the podcast for the first time. When was that moment for you that you realized you wanted to become a, a coach? Yeah, I had an interesting journey. Um, grew up in northwestern Pennsylvania in a crazy uh, basketball town that I referred to as a Hoosier town. Um, and so the basket was just ingrained at an early age and watching an older brother and sister thrive in basketball. Uh, really loved the sport. But my aha moment was my senior year in high school. I was not playing a fall sport preparing for my own basketball season in the winter. And at that time in the eighties, you had to be a teacher or uh, a teacher to be a coach in my high school, school district. No one wanted to coach the seventh and eighth grade girls team. So my high school varsity boys coach approached me, knew I wanted to coach and said, if we gave you a faculty advisor, would you coach the seventh and eighth grade girls team? Again, I was a senior in high school, only four years older than these guys. And I was young for my grade. So many of them, I was only three years older than. Um, but I coached the seventh and eighth grade girls team in my, high, in, in my hometown of Pennsylvania, my senior year in high school, had a good season. And I was hooked and said, I wanted to be a coach for the rest of my life. So uh, that was my aha moment that solidified coaching is what I wanted to do. What, what's the journey been like from you from coaching that middle school basketball team to being the WNBA coach of the year? I mean, it's quite the journey there. Yeah, certainly uh, right place at the right time. Um, you know, I, I have had a lot of breaks along the way and I didn't finish completing and playing college basketball. So didn't know where my basketball journey and coaching would begin. Uh, but was fortunate that I earned a GA in grad school, a graduate assistant teaching activity classes at Kent State University in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they didn't have a GA for women's basketball. And so every moment that I wasn't teaching my own activity classes or taking my own classes, I worked with Kent State uh, women's team. That opened up a door a year later when their top assistant got the Cleveland State head job all said in right place at the right time, I joined her staff as the youngest assistant, full-time assistant in the nation because she got the job at an awkward time. And I was just a, you know, a grad student. So I uh, gave up my opportunity to finish my master's degree, but started my coaching journey um, with, you know, a great friend at the time and, and was very fortunate. And it just kind of happened like that throughout my career, right place at the right time, uh, worked hard to create some of those breaks and be prepared for some of those breaks, but very, very fortunate throughout my career. If people in Connecticut are familiar with, with top tier women's college basketball with the different universities we have in the state. And now, now with you and your team familiar with, with top level WNBA team, what was the biggest jump that you had to make in going from the college game to the professional game? Yeah, interesting. I could keep you here all day about the nuances that are different between college and pro basketball. But uh, you know, you know, some of the some of the um, differences is that relationships are well established before you coach them in college because you've mm -hmm. been recruiting people and players for years. 
So, you know, you, you have such a built-in trust. You have such a, a long history with them before you even walk onto a practice court. In the pros, it's their job. And for me, I wear the dual hat. Not only do I coach them, but I also negotiate their contracts because I'm their GM. So it's a unique uh, relationship and it's their job now. It, and you no longer have the advantage of spending years in the recruiting process, getting to know them. So relationship building is harder. Um, you know, these pros don't always want, you know, to hang out with the coaching staff when they're outside of working. And so relationship building is, is, more, is more of a challenge. That, that off the court is a big difference between pro and college basketball. And then the footprint. Um, you, you're very fortunate if you have your veterans in training camp because they play all year round in their international leagues. Mm -hmm. So it's very rare to have your team together in practice while you're preparing for the season. So you don't have a long time. And then in the season, the footprint is so difficult. There's so many games in a short amount of time period that it's really difficult to practice. And I love to coach the game. I love to practice. But at this level, it's always about rest and load management. We don't skip games in our league like some of the um, the NBA does. Mm -hmm. But our load management is, uh, you know, the duration and intensity of practices is small and you don't practice a lot. So I miss that about the collegiate game. It, it, it is a it is certainly something to get used to not being able to always prepare on the practice court the way you would want to. You mentioned something that, that just really interested me in, in the recruiting aspect at college. How does it compare to recruiting a college player versus in a role as a GM as you're trying to recruit free agents to come to your team? What are the similarities and differences between the two there? Yeah, the skill set is the same. It's just, you know, you, you recruit, it seems like forever before a player will continue to keep narrowing down, narrowing down at the collegiate level and ultimately announce their choice. At the pro level, the free agency window is very small and you, you don't have a lot of time. And a lot of times you're interacting with them while they're internationally. So you can't bring them in to market all the time, mm -hmm. as we call bring them in the market and wine and dine them. They're overseas playing. So it's, it's a few quick discussions with them and their agents and they have to make a decision. So it, it's certainly magnified at how quick it is how intense it is when you get to free agency, but the skill set is the same. You know, you're talking about the culture of your team. You're talking about their fit with the team. You're talking about off the court, um, you know, how we can help, uh, help them, you know, build their brand maybe, mm -hmm. or what there is to do when they do have a little time away and what that looks like for us in Connecticut compared to some of the other markets. Now that you've had some time with, with the season wrapping up, I, I'm curious to hear your opinion. What was it like having more of a, a normal season this year in terms of just kind of getting back to the things the way that they were? Yeah, it still doesn't seem quite normal. You know, the season started out across the league with no fan base or very limited fan base. Mm -hmm. Each market opened up a little bit differently for Connecticut. It was season ticket holders only until after the Olympic break. Um, you know, so still unique. We still had a cadence of testing. We still had a lot of COVID protocols. We still had a lot of best practices 
um, that we were begging our team to do so we wouldn't have a COVID outbreak. And, you know, very fortunate around the league, there was none of that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the vaccination going into the year was certainly a part of it. So while you call it more of a normal season because we were back in our home markets, it it has still certainly been anything but normal, Uh, but certainly different than the bubble. The bubble was only 22 games, but we were playing every other day. The preparation for that and the wear and tear on on the players' bodies was very difficult. That was a very difficult season. My entire team lived on one floor of a hotel and literally by the end of 90 days, 90 plus days together in the bubble, you could actually tell by the sound of which hotel room was opening. So you just never could get away from each other. Your your door opened distinctly different than someone else's door. Mm-hmm. So even when you were minding your own business in your hotel room, you could tell who just left their hotel room. So um, it was uh, it was an interesting time for all of us in the bubble in 2020. I've got to ask about one player on your team in particular, and, and that's JJ. Her and I actually overlapped. We both went to GW. So I remember sit, sitting in the arena there and being like, wow, she's going to be pretty good. When you first saw her, did you see her being able to be the player that she's become today? You know, we uh, I had just become the head coach, uh, was not the general manager at the time. In, in multiple discussions with the general manager, we were trying to retool a team that had not been to the playoffs for three straight years. That draft class was very intriguing to us. We needed to add shooting. We needed to add three-point shooting. And one of my philosophies in how we play is have three three-point shooting post players. And so obviously there was a draw of four-time national champion Morgan Tuck in our backyard at UConn. Uh, but we I love JJ. And uh, but at the same time, could you take two players very similar to each other? in the draft. And so we made up our mind that JJ, we believed was being undervalued in the draft. And could we pull off a monster trade for us? And uh, I went to the GM and said, whatever we got to do, we've got to put ourselves in position to draft JJ and just loved her. I thought that, uh, you know, that the rebounding I thought would translate from day one, her offensive skill set was so unique for someone her size that I thought ultimately uh, as she got used to playing night in and night out against these pros that she had a chance to be very special. And, uh, and fortunately for us, she's been a part of Connecticut since that draft and, uh, and obviously played herself into the MVP and the best league in the world. Yeah, no, it really, really outstanding to see what she's been able to put together now, again, with the season having come to an end, you know, I know not the end you guys would have liked to have seen, what, you know, were you able to take some positives away though still? And, and what were those positives that you're able to take away from your team this year heading into next year? Yeah, the difficulty of the pro game is, you know, there's, you know, certainly a feeling that um, you, you let it slip by. You're only in a championship window so often in pro sports. And we believe we're in our championship window. So, you know, disappointing and didn't feel as a coach that I could push the right buttons in that semifinal series against Chicago. They got hot um, and, you know, were just tremendous throughout the playoffs. So, you know, have still, you know, a a few weeks out now, still disappointed um, that I couldn't help our players have more success. And again, it's one or two plays either way, game one, game three, 
could have gone either way, uh, one play here or there. And the narrative is different right now, but we came up short. So, you know, disappointed, but, you know, I've heard the, the phrase so often over the last two weeks as a failure. And I refuse to let that be the narrative after a franchise in Connecticut that's been there 19 years and we had the best regular season in franchise history. We had the best home record. Uh, we had a player, you know, earn the MVP because of the success of the team and how unselfish she is and how unselfish your teammates are. So again, on and on, I can talk about all the historic things that happen in the regular season. So I refuse to give in to the narrative that we were a failure. Disappointing finished, uh, but I'm never going to call this season a failure. You can't do that. In the history of a franchise and pro sports, to look at the best regular season ever as a, yeah. as a failure season is just unfair to what these players did th- over the course of the entire season. Agree whole, wholeheartedly with you there. One, one other change that happened this year was the addition of Jen Rosati joining the joining the sun. What's it been like working with her? I know she's Connecticut basketball royalty here, whether it was from her time at UConn or at, at university of Hartford, what's it been like getting to work with her and getting to know her a bit more? Yeah, she's been fantastic. And again, when she became that free agent, as I called it, and uh, was not going to be retained by GW, I went to our ownership and said, I'm not sure in what role. I'm not sure where she fits, but we've got to get Jen Rosati in our organization. They had the foresight and, and the belief in, in her also. And lo and behold, we've restructured the business side of the franchise, and now she's the team president. She's an elite person, first and foremost. I've loved working with her. She's so smart. Uh, she's tackling and expanding our business side to really put us in position in the future to be real profitable and continue to find unique and new ways to generate revenue. So she's just been hitting a home run out of the gate, getting our organizational structure right. But what I love the fact is, is I have someone that I can lean on that has sat in that pilot seat, that it, that has been a head coach. And so the conversations that I have with been, with her just from a head coaching perspective is so nice that she sat in that seat. She sees the game like a coach. Mm-hmm. She sees what I'm seeing. So we've had great conversations and that doesn't mean that she's not also disappointed that we didn't bring home a championship. Uh, but uh, she's a huge addition and a, and a personally great addition for me because now I have a former coach and a former player that played in the WNBA that, you know, really understands uh, taking care of players, but she also understands what coaches go through on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you had some experience out in Indiana, which is one of those classic basketball states. How was that compared to Connecticut? Because I, I, I like to think we consider ourselves a pretty big basketball state. Yeah, again, you know, my career has been very fortunate. Uh, coached a lot of my career, or the majority of my career, and certainly my entire head coaching career at the collegiate level in the Midwest. And, you know, well-documented as we had success at Bowling Green and, and we were moving towards that, you know, those eight straight championships to end my tenure there, um, that later on during that success, I was able to put a dream school clause into my contract. And the dream school clause in my contract was Indiana. I always thought it was a sleeping giant. It's a state that loves basketball. It's a very educated state about basketball. So very fortunate. I felt like I grew up in a Hoosier town in Western Pennsylvania. You know, that's what you picture about Hoosiers, Definitely. right? They either have a 
they have a basketball hoop in their driveway and their barn, you know, somewhere in Indiana, you have a basketball hoop. So um, I was very fortunate to be able to coach why briefly I still make my off season home in Indiana and very fortunate that I got to coach in a, in a basketball crazy state, but Connecticut women's basketball wise, there's not a better state. The fan base has been spoiled because of UConn, <laughs> but because of that, they appreciate women's basketball. They're educated about women's basketball and therefore we benefit from our, we have our own fan base, but we also certainly benefit by the double fan base of the UConn Huskies and us. And those fans are just so educated and respect and appreciate the women's game. So I feel like I've hit, you know, the women's basketball jackpot. I've gotten the coach in some crazy basketball states. And again, it's just, it's been my journey. I've been very fortunate along the way. I'm curious, you you mentioned earlier, you know, how, how some might've deemed this past season a failure and coming in from Connecticut, you know, if, if UConn loses two games, you know, that season's a failure. Does that pressure, do you feel some of that pressure where, you know, maybe the fan base around here is used to teams going undefeated, you know, being in that title game year in and year out. Does that put some added pressure at your level of, Hey, like we just put a franchise history, you know, season together, but you know, in some ways it's not enough because fans are used to at the collegiate level saying, Hey, if it's not a championship, it's been a disappointing season. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a little bit of that shadow, especially when I first got there six years ago and you have the shadow of Gino and the fan base, believe it or not, at times uh, would scream out during the games and you would hear it when it would get quiet in the arena. Gino wouldn't do that. And you so badly want to just turn around to the, to the crowd and go, I'm not Gino, never will be Gino. Um, but, you know, like if I understood where it was coming from, but and again, they have so many undefeated seasons or rarely lose. We can lose that much at the pro level in one week. Right. So, you know, like you, you, it's just different. And unfortunately our fan base gets it. And this year was really special. Uh, again, three straight years, minus yeah. the bubble year, three straight years of unbelievable home records, been the best home team in the league since 2000, you know, since the start of 2018. So just, you know, really fortunate to win a lot of our games at home. Um, and, and the crowd certainly used to that. We, I, I was, I took a leave this year because of my mom's health issue for two games. I was suspended for a game. So I, I got to coach in 29 regular season games this year. We were 26 and three in those games. That doesn't happen yeah. at the pro level. It right. just doesn't happen. And so um, I no longer think about it, but I remember when I first got here in the early days, uh, you know, certainly, you know, you, you, that shadow was over us because of the success of UConn and they rarely lost, um, you know, that, that I, I felt that I'm beyond that. <laughs> I've matured beyond that pressure and, and don't worry about it as much. I'll get you out of here on this one. You've been around the women's basketball game for a while, whether at the collegiate level, now at the professional level, how we've really seen a takeoff in women's basketball in terms of popularity, both at at both levels. How would you say, you know, especially at the pro level where you've been at now for the past few years, how have you seen that popularity take off? Um, You know, and what do you think the future of, you know, women's professional basketball looks like? I think we're in a great place. I think it's strong, you know, viewership continues to be up. Obviously, a big challenge is to get the right TV packages, Mm -hmm. um, to get the right marketing behind our league, behind our own individual franchises. 
Um, it's investing in women. And again, to grow our game, we've got to continue to knock down some doors that haven't been open to our league or haven't been open to women's basketball. Um, you know, we have the traditional fan base. It's strong, contrary to, you know, the keyboard warriors that, you know, want to want to poo-hoo women's basketball or the WNBA. Um, you know, it's all trending merchandise, uh, the social media hits, everything is trending in the right direction. And for a league still only 25 years old is really in good shape. Um, but that doesn't mean we can be satisfied. We we've got to continue to be bold. We've got to continue to think outside of the box. And I think the WNBA leadership is doing that. And a lot of it's exposure. A lot of it is continuing to get the right TV exposure, uh, the right marketing dollars behind our franchises. Absolutely. Well, coach, I really appreciate the time. Enjoy the, the off season here. And, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys all back out on the court next year. Appreciate it. Join you anytime. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Cutler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.